the word that we're having today is from Acts 10, verses 1 to 8, and then from verses 25 to 35, which, if you're using the Blue Bibles, should be page 1042. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and then sent them to Joppa. And then going from verses 25 to 35, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I'm only human myself. Whilst talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came to you without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be to God. Good morning, everybody. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 10. And as you may have noticed, there's more to the story than was read aloud just now. So keep your Bibles open, if you like, as we spend some time thinking about this huge turning point in the history of the early church. Here at Sea Salter, we are busy journeying with the early church in a time of change. Four weeks ago, Steve pointed us towards today's reading and said that he sees our church as being at a crossroads. That when we think about the great commission Jesus has given us, We have paid a lot of attention to Jerusalem and Judea and that now we need to turn our focus towards Samaria and the ends of the earth. This is exactly what happened to the early church in today's reading. And we can see that they did not seem to have been expecting this turn of events and that it was a huge challenge for them to get their heads around. At the end of the chapter, it says how astonished the Jewish believers were that God had poured out his Holy Spirit 
upon people who did not belong to the Jewish community. On this momentous day in history, in the house of someone called Cornelius, God came to make it clear once and for all that he has chosen people out of every nation to be part of his family, the church. And nothing could stop them from being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, how did all this come about? How did the Apostle Peter and the centurion Cornelius end up under the same roof? When, as Peter says in verse 28, it was against Jewish law for Peter to visit Cornelius or eat with him, let alone share fellowship with him. Quite simply, it was all down to God. He initiated and orchestrated the whole thing. But it wouldn't have happened exactly like that if Peter and Cornelius hadn't done just what God had asked of them. When we look at how these amazing events unfolded, we notice that both Cornelius and Peter were in the habit of praying regularly. They made sure that they kept bringing their attention back to God throughout the day because they wanted to honour God in every part of their lives and do his will in everything. So it wasn't difficult for God to get their attention when he had something specific that he wanted them to do. Cornelius and Peter were there before him listening. In his enlightening book called Turnings, Guy Chevreux states, that which characterizes both kingdom miracles and historic revival, simply stated, God is always the one initiating and we are always the ones responding. That the Lord is the one initiating and we the ones responding is some of what it means for Christ to be the head of his church. Here, as Christ's church in Seasalter, we need to constantly remain in submission to our Lord, regularly spending time listening to what he has to say, and always being ready to respond with obedience each time he sends us out to share his love. It would be so easy to miss out on the best that God has in mind if we are not listening and ready to join in with what he is doing. I do realize what a challenge it is in the 21st century to make the time and space to listen to God. There are so many distractions, aren't there? News alerts, messages going ping wherever we are, the fear of missing out on what may be happening in the lives of our friends or famous people may keep us glued to our televisions, phones, or social media. But what about the fear of missing out on what God wants to say to us and what he wants to do through us? How much thought do we give to that each day? 
there are so many different ways God uses to speak to his people. Just in this chapter, we hear about visions, angels, conversations with God, and guidance from the Holy Spirit. We may wonder why there is so much direct intervention from God, but it just goes to show how crucial this encounter was in shaping the future of the early church. The instructions for both Peter and Cornelius needed to be crystal clear, as neither of them had even heard of each other. And Peter needed to undergo a complete turnaround in his thinking and be in no doubt he was doing God's will before he would take any action that was against Jewish law. God chose to call, instruct, and send those who were listening to him and who wanted to be obedient to him, even if it meant going outside their comfort zone. Peter had to overcome his prejudices and reach out the hand of fellowship and love to people who had a completely different background to him. In verse 34, Peter declares, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. When Cornelius and his family asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, he did. Even though he must have felt like he was living in a different world. We need to be aware that what God is calling us to as a church may not be in line with our natural inclinations. It could well be outside our comfort zone. As we reach out to others who don't know Jesus and who might have a completely different background to us, we may feel a bit vulnerable. But we need to take the risk of drawing alongside others where they feel safe and at ease, rather than expecting them to always have the courage to make the first move and come inside our church buildings. It is our responsibility to pass on the good news with which we have been entrusted. And as well as going to people where they are, we need to become adept at sharing the gospel in a language that everyone can understand. I was sitting in someone's lounge just a five-minute walk from here when I unexpectedly found myself in the privileged position of being the first person to explain to them about the amazing love of Jesus. It was such a beautiful, exciting experience to share Bible stories about Jesus with someone who'd never heard them before. But I had to make sure I didn't use any unhelpful theological language. When I was growing up and reading biographies of missionaries taking the gospel to places where no one had heard about Jesus, I thought that I'd have to learn a foreign language and travel to some far-flung corner of the earth if I ever wanted to follow in their footsteps. But now I find 
that the ends of the earth are here in our land today. There are people living in our community who have not yet heard the good news about Jesus. And although we may not need to learn a foreign language to reach out to them, we need to know how to communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. When I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't help thinking about another example of when the church was sent out by God from the safety and security of their Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria and beyond, where people had not yet heard the gospel. In the 18th century, the newly converted Anglican priests, George Whitfield and John Wesley, began to preach the message that God's love and grace are available to all, and that salvation is received not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Gradually, they found that their message and their enthusiastic preaching style were not welcomed by those in authority. So church after church closed their doors to them, saying that they couldn't preach there anymore. By 1739, George Whitfield was banned from preaching in every church in London and Bristol. So he started to preach in the open air. A revival began amongst the miners in Bristol who were responding to the gospel message. There was much work to be done. So George Whitfield begged John Wesley to come to Bristol to join in with what God was doing. John wrote in his journal that he was not inclined to do so. But after casting lots, it was decided that he should go. Here is the entry John Wesley wrote for Thursday, the 29th of March, 1739. In the evening, I reached Bristol and met Mr. Whitfield there. I could scarce reconcile myself at first to this strange way of preaching in the fields, of which he set me an example on Sunday. Having been all my life, till very lately, so tenacious of every point relating to decency and order that I should have thought the saving of souls almost a sin if it had not been done in a church. This shows how hard it was for John Wesley to embrace such a completely new way of doing things. How challenging it was for him to go from only ever preaching inside a church where people came in to listen and everything was done in an orderly fashion to traveling the highways and byways in order to reach out to people where they were in the community so that everyone could hear the good news of Christ's love. George Whitfield and John Wesley both Oxford graduates and Anglican priests humbled themselves and willingly suffered a great deal of violent opposition and persecution 
in order to join in with the new work which God had begun amongst the people. They had to adapt to new forms of preaching and new ways of being church. But they saw God transform thousands of lives by the power of his Holy Spirit as revival spread across our nation. Again, we see the same pattern emerging. God initiates, his people are listening, and as they join in with what he is doing, God transforms lives. Neither Peter nor Cornelius knew what was going to happen at this extraordinary meeting that God had set up. They went anyway, in faith that God would show them the next step once they'd set off on the path he had laid out for them. When Cornelius invited Peter to speak to them, Peter took his opportunity to share the gospel. And in verse 44 it says, that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. I hope this gives you as much comfort and encouragement as it gives me. The truth is, that it is not up to us to do the saving. Transforming people's lives is God's work. All we need to do is to listen and join in with the new things that God is doing in our community. And the rest is up to him. So let's beware of setting targets for our outreach that we then put ourselves under pressure to meet, as if by our own talent and hard work, we have succeeded in making it happen. All that is necessary is for us to be obedient to God step by step, and he will work in people's lives, sometimes even without us realizing, in order to bring in his kingdom. And that is how the gospel works, isn't it? Try as we might, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We are completely reliant upon God's grace and mercy to redeem us and set us free. It is not even that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to save us from our sins. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died once for all to bring us to God. In verse 15 it says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It is God who makes us clean and fills us with his Holy Spirit. He is the one who transforms lives. At the end of Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people in Cornelius' house who have heard the good news preached to them. God blesses them and demonstrates unequivocally that he accepts them as his own, that 
they are one with him just as much as any other believers. The early church suddenly begins to recognize that the gospel is for people of every tribe and tongue. Peter approves their baptism into the name of Jesus Christ. So they become members of Christ's family, a family which today is a truly worldwide family. As Peter declares in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the best news for any of us who have ever felt that we don't belong properly or that we're inferior in some way. Jesus loves each one of us more than we can ever understand. He does not favor some over others. He wants us all to be one with him. Wherever we come from, whatever we've done in the past, however we look, whatever our abilities, as Paul writes at the end of Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Perhaps we could envisage the body of Christ throughout time and space as all the colors of the rainbow join seamlessly together in a beautiful color spectrum infused by God's Holy Spirit and shining with the glory of the risen Christ. Here there is no edge and no one feels like they don't belong. We are all united and filled with the Spirit. There is no jostling for position, but instead peace and harmony as we rest secure in the knowledge that we are all loved by God who does not show favoritism. And this is the good news that we have to share with everyone in our community. Jesus died for every single one of us. Whatever we may have done, whatever our position in life, however different we are to one another. God, our Father, does not show favoritism. And it is his desire for every single person to come to him through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit. He sends us, his church, to reach out his arms of love to encompass everyone in our community. So let's pray. Father, help us to go in humility and love, always ready to listen and join in with your new ways of doing things. Transform our community by the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of your name. Amen.